And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the only the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Father, we ask that the word of God speak today. Oh Jesus, please speak to us. By your Holy Spirit, open your word, cause us to see, to understand things we've not seen before. And Father, thank you for the revelation of Jesus to us, your word, your communication, the transmission of your thought, what you think about us is Jesus. Wow, thank you for that. Father, as we approach your word, we want to ask that we will be those who, with ears to hear, determine we will hear what your spirit is saying, and that we'll leave here prepared to live it out. For the sake of the kingdom, amen. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. We are continuing in our series in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. I want to encourage you to turn there. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And um, Paul has been talking with them about uh, Jesus' return. And I know that some there in Thessalonica have died. And uh, when Jesus returns, you don't need to worry about it. They're, they're going to be raised from the dead, to which the Thessalonians said, What? <laughs> And we understand that. Uh, we can understand how that would be the question. And so Paul, uh, more than in most other New Testament books, is dealing with the uh, second coming of Jesus and shapes it around a term that is used all the way through the Bible. Um, it, we're going to deal with it today in chapter 5, and that term is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is used all the way through Old Testament and New Testament to talk about that final day when righteousness will be revealed, sin will be judged, and Jesus will be shown to be the eternally ever-present one. It's going to be a good day. Amen? For some. <laughs> now, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Years ago, I took a course at, under Dr. Ron Allen up to Portland. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful man on the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament, a little bitty book in the Old Testament. But it deals with most of the themes of the Old Testament and heavy on this theme of the day of the Lord. And so you just take that little book and you get so much of the Old Testament shoved into those very few verses there. But what we find is that the day of the Lord is, is um, all the way through. It's going to be the day when judgment is rendered and made final. Righteousness will be revealed and evil will be banished and we will get to see Jesus clearly. Now, as we approach this passage today, we want to look at it in terms of three things. First off, we want to look at how it will all happen. What's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Secondly, we're going to look at what should be our response to it. How should we respond? And then thirdly, what in the world are God's purposes? And he talks to us about these three things. So let's look first off at how it will happen in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. He said, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. But I'm going to write it anyway. <laughs> he's setting them in remain. He's reminding them. And Paul does this frequently. Other writers in the Bible do this frequently. Remind them of things they already know. And in many cases, they're already living. In, uh, ten, in Peter, Second Peter 1, it says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He said, you already know these things. I'm just reminding you of them. And not only do you know them, you're living them. You're established in the truth that you have. You're living these things out. And every now and then, we need to be reminded of something. Amen? That's why we tell our spouses repeatedly, I love you. 
You heard about the guy who said, I told you I love you on our wedding day, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know, right? That doesn't go over well, right? Those biscuits get burnder and burnder, and I don't know if that's even a word. But anyway, um, we need to be reminded of these things, and aren't you thankful for that person who reminds us by asking us questions and getting us to say the things that we need to hear, to draw out of us the things that we do already know. We know that this is on the inside of us, but sometimes we forget it. And so Paul is saying, I just want to set you in remembrance of this using Peter's words. I want to remind you of what you already know. You already know these things. You're established in the truth of it, as Peter said. And so he's reminding them in verse 2, he says, You yourselves are fully aware, you already know this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, we see two very polar opposite responses to this topic. Um, There are some who are really looking forward to it, and there are some who are not looking forward to it at all. And friends, that's just the nature of the gospel. That's just the reality of our situation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to preach the gospel. For some, it's going to be the fragrance of death unto death. For others, it'll be the fragrance of life unto life. How is it that you can go to a concert with a friend, you both sit through the same concert, you walk out loving it, and they hated it? You can meet somebody with your friend standing next to you, you think they're a great person, they can't stand them. You know, we were talking to somebody this past week, they said 30% of people you meet, 30% are going to love you, 30% are going to hate you. And 30% just don't care. (laughs) That leaves 10% on the table somehow, and I'm not sure what we're supposed to do with them. But the simple reality is that when we present the gospel, there are going to be some people who are going to say, man, that's the greatest thing ever. And there are going to be some people who say, you're nuts. And that's how it is when talking about the day of the Lord. This is a day that many people are looking forward to. It's like the final exam, that some people look forward to the final exam. Because why? (laughs) It's done. And I studied for this sucker. Let's get this thing over with because as soon as I get this final done, I'm out of here. I'm home for the holidays. But there are a lot of other people who look at that final exam and feel like Bill Murray on Christmas Eve, right? She hit me with a toaster. Friends, there are some who it's going to be a glorious day because they've longed for his appearing. It's going to be wonderful. In 1 Corinthians 3, he said, Now all of us, all of us who have accepted Christ, we've laid a foundation. That foundation is Christ. Other foundation can no man lay than which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, verse 11. It says, now we can build a house on that, on that foundation, and we can use a variety of substances. We can use wood, hay, and stubble. We can use gold, silver, or precious stone. But whatever you use, there's a day coming, and he said, the day will reveal it. The day will disclose what you used because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If that work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and all you do is build with wood, hand, stubble. Baby, when that sucker goes through the fire, you're going to have a foundation on the other side, and you might have a couple of pipes for plumbing sticking up where the bathroom order have been. It's not going to be a very good house. If we labor, if we search for the deep and the hidden and the secret things of the gold and the silver and the precious stone and commit our lives to that, we're going to have something 
we're going to have something to present to Jesus on the other side. Amen? And it's going to be revealed on that day. And on that day, we get to finally see the completion of what He's been working on in us. In Philippians 1, 6, uh, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will continue it for how long? All the way to the day of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 10, it says, You will be revealed then as being pure and blameless. Oh, that'll be a good day, won't it? Won't it be a great day, the day of the Lord? We can look forward to this thing because finally we will get to see ourselves, listen, as the Father sees us. That'll be a good day, won't it? We'll get to finally see ourselves as holy, in Christ, redeemed, precious. That's going to be a good day. And so we have reason to look forward to it. He said in 1 John 3, we've said it the past two weeks, Beloved, it's not been revealed to us what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him as He is. We will finally get to see on that day the reality of Jesus in our lives. And so there are some of us who look forward to His appearing, who love His appearing. We can see, we'll be able to see clearly. Faith will become sight. It's going to be a glorious day. But there are others... who have not studied for the exam. <laughs> there are others who think it's going to be, you know, they just think it's going to be a great day, but no, it's going to be a terrible day. It's going to be like a pop quiz final exam. And he told him in Amos, it said, Amos chapter 5, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Friends, the Old Testament paints the day of the Lord as being a dark and difficult time because that's when sin's going to be dealt with. But when we come to the New Testament, it is also, it's still dealt with in negative terms. It's going to be a harsh day. But we also get to see that's the day when we as Christians get to see the revelation of Christ and what He's done in us. And for that reason, it's going to be a good day. In light of the eternal consequences revealed on the decisions that we make in this experience, it is imperative that we as Christians look forward to the day of the Lord, but also, God, if you can hold it off just a little bit longer, we have other people in need. We don't want them in terror on that day. We talked last week a little bit about E.V. Hill saying, everybody's saying, Jesus, come quickly. I want Jesus to come, but not just yet. Because I've got friends and family that don't know him yet. If you can hold off just a little bit longer, give me more time to talk to these folks. I want to get them in there too. For me, even so come, but for them, wait. Amen? Friends, we have work to do. And look at what it says there in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And for some in the room, they say, even so, labor pains come quickly. <laughs> Josh, you don't know what it means to me that you were listening. It's just, you saved me, buddy. You saved me right there. Look, while, the, while people are saying there is peace and safety and security, who are these people? Who is it who's saying this? Who's looking, who is it who's looking around and saying, well, everything's fine. I don't know what you're so worried about. Is it the church? Is it Christians? Look there in verse 4. No, it's not us. You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. No, we're not going to be the ones who are surprised. We're not going to be the ones who are saying everything's wonderful and then, oh, wow, this is dreadful. It's not going to be us. 
The people who are rejoicing in how much peace there is are the ones who are lost. They've been fooled by the seeming permanence of the temporal. Friends, the voice of warning is usually a very lonely voice. Everybody's rocking along fine, saying, oh, the economy's great. Let's make some money. Let's buy all the houses we can. Get all the mortgages. Everybody's getting mortgages. Get one for your dog. Buy all the houses you can. And then 08 hits. And the ones who saw it coming are the ones that they're laughed at and castigated all along the way. And then when 08 hits, everybody looks at them and says, well, why didn't you tell us? We did. You weren't listening. In Jeremiah 6, it says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Ezekiel 13 says very similar. They say it's peace, but there's not peace. Friends, it's not Christians who are, who are looking at the world saying, oh, everything's just wonderful. It's Christians looking at the world going, this is the final trip, or this is the final, final loop around that bowl, man. It's the last circle of the bowl. And friends, that's not our only perspective. Amos came up from the southern kingdom. He lived down to Utah County, see. He was a fig farmer. And he came up to Salt Lake County and said, You people, you need to repent, man. Destruction's coming. And Salt Lake County looked at Amos and said, You don't know what you're talking about. We've never had it so good. Our economy's booming. We're one of the top-rated run states in the entire country. Why don't you go home, Amaziah, the, the resident theologian in Salt Lake County, said, why don't you go home and declare your gloom and doom down there? Man, we've never had it so good. And they did have it good for that moment. But destruction came, and it came quickly. And friends, the reality of the situation is that when God brings destruction, He brings it swiftly. It comes as labor pains on a woman. I read a book several years ago. It was kind of popular several years ago on uh, the demise, the fall of cultures and societies all through history. And the, we look at it and think, well, they should have seen that coming. Surely they knew it was coming. But the reality is, when you look at the, the decline of civilizations historically, they don't see it coming. Hence the name of the book, Collapse. It happens all at once. It comes suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, here's the interesting thing about pregnant women. Pregnant women know they're pregnant. Unless you want to have a TV show on TLC, you know, the learning channel. Yeah, right, whatever. I don't know what we're supposed to be learning. And it can feel like you're going to be pregnant forever, especially with that first one. Donna said that by the time the fifth one came along, she wanted to be pregnant with that kid till it was 18 because she knew where it was and didn't have to feed it, right? And you look at this thing and you go, well... I'm going to be pregnant forever, and then suddenly, whoa, holy night, that thing hits. Labor pains begin unexpectedly, and once they begin, there is no end in process. They happen suddenly, but they're not unexpected. And when they hit, one of ours, they hit, and Donna in the middle of it, she said, I'm done. I don't want to do this. I want to go home now. Well, Mama, I'm really sorry to say. That was before Jesus invented the epidural block. After that, we said, praise Jesus. <laughs> the day of the Lord will come suddenly and unforeseen. And Jesus said, if the master had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, but he didn't know. His house got broken into. 
listened to a comedian recently. He said, you know, those born-againers, I don't know. they got some things going on, and I don't know that I'm ready to commit, but if I see that rapture happening in the first six feet, I'm, I'm believing. That's, that's okay. That's funny. But that ain't how it's going to work. You remember in 83 when Korean Airlines Flight 007 was shot down by Russian fighters over the Sea of Japan. I remember that because two weeks later I was on that same flight going to, going to um, Korea. So it had my attention. And when you look up, why did that plane go down? It says pilot error. Okay, whatever. I thought it was a missile up the tailpipe of that engine. But anyway, when they shot KL-007 out of the air, it took seven minutes for that thing to hit the ground, water. And they said at the time that people had time to write notes to their loved ones. I wonder if they got things right with the person sitting next to them. I'm really sorry that I've had B.O. this whole trip. had seven minutes to get things right. It's not going to be that way when Jesus returns. Boy, it's going to be an instant, the twinkling of an eye, and it's all going to be over with. The day of the Lord, Second Peter 3, is like a thief in the night. Revelation 16, Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Two men walking up a hill. One disappeared and one was left standing still. Don't you wish we had all been ready? And of those of you who know what song that came out of, welcome to the geriatric age. But you look historically, Babylon fell in a night. Babylon, at the peak, it seemed at the peak of its, of its reign, its existence, in the middle of Belshazzar's impious feats, that disembodied hand wrote the four words of terror on the hearts of those watching. And when Daniel came in, he said, I'll tell you what it says. It says you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom is being taken away from you tonight. He did not know, Belshazzar did not know that the Medes and the Persians had already closed. They had already diverted the river that ran under the walls of the city. And they had walked in the riverbed under the walls of the city. And there they were, knocking at the doors of the palace. And that night, they went from splendor to captive. Herod stood up to give a speech over in Acts chapter 12 and everybody said, oh, he's the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod said, well, maybe they're right. Let's take a vote from the people. I'll agree with that, but God didn't agree. And instantaneously, the Bible says that he was stricken by an angel from the Lord. He was eaten with worms and he breathed his last. Friends, it happens in an instant and there's no time to say, oh, you got six feet, I can still grab a foot of the one going up. I'll make uh, right in those first six feet of the rapture. No, it happens in the twinkling of an eye like a thief in the night. Are you ready for Jesus to return? How will it happen? It's going to happen in an instant. And to the eternal peril of those who do not know Jesus. So secondly, how should we respond to this? Look at what he says there in verse 4. But you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Friends, we shouldn't be surprised that the world's making its final spiral around the bowl and act like we're indignant or desperate about the whole thing. We're children of the day. We know that Jesus is coming. And for that reason, verse 6, let us keep awake and be sober. Now, we're not going to hide our heads in the sand and act foolish or angry about it. 
And he didn't say be weird about it. He said be ready for it. And there is a difference. And he didn't tell us, go scream at everybody. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. He said, no, you get ready. Live a life of righteousness. That's the foundation for the evolution, the extension of our witness, which moves into the spoken word. But if you don't have a lifestyle of righteousness as your foundation, let's work on that first. Verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. These are the others who are saying peace and security. These are the others in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 who mourn as they, with no hope. No, we're not of the others. We're not to react to the situations of the world around us like we have no understanding, like those who cannot see because, friends, we are children of the light. So how are we to, how are we to respond? Look in verse 8. We're awake and sober because... We belong, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Friends, sobriety is what makes it so that we can look at this world and not get exasperated or desperate or worried or fearful or angry about it. Sobriety is what makes it so we can look at this and say, well, it's pretty rotten over there, but Jesus, you're Lord, I'm following you and I'll do anything over here you tell me to do. We don't react, we respond. And there is a difference between the two. Friends, we do that because we're children of the light. Do you realize that sobriety makes it? (laughs) Sobriety makes it so that we're effective in our ministry. Listen to 2 Timothy 4. As you always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. How can we do that? By sobriety. Sobriety makes it so that our prayers in 1 Peter 4... The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Friends, we have been called, we've been given the opportunity to walk in the light so that we can see. We don't have to be worried about that. I'm not going to be deceived by those things. I'll tell you, I was kind of happy yesterday when Alabama schooled the high school of Texas A&M how to play football. But I refuse. Listen to me. I, I was watching a football game a few years ago, and my kids walked in and said, Who are you, and what have you done with our dad? Because I don't watch football. I just, I just don't care. There are other things that I care about. If that's your, if that's your sin, I'm okay with that. I've got mine. <laughs> but I watched it yesterday, and I look at that thing, and I just say, I refuse to be deceived to think that that actually matters I refuse to look at what the world looks at and says oh this is really important and and be fooled by it oh finances really do matter status really does matter the car I drive really does matter if you think if I believed that I'd be driving a Mitsubishi sitting out there I don't think so I refuse. He said, he said over in Matthew, in Mark chapter 4, he's talking about the four seeds, and he says, now one of those seeds is going to be choked out. And one of the things that chokes it out is the deceitfulness of riches. There in Mark 4, 19. You know what the deceitfulness... Do you realize that money will lie to you? Money will whisper to you. It will lie to you. And here's the lie that it tells you. It whispers in your ear and it says, I matter. No. It doesn't matter. That's the deceitfulness of riches to, 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 to try and teach us and convince, convince us that it matters. Friend, our job, 
our importance, our status, our house, our everything that we surround ourselves with, we look at it and say, oh, if only I had a little bit better. No, we're not going to be fooled by that. We need sobriety so that we're not fooled into greed or impetuosity or anger or frantic behavior, which brings us to this election cycle. And listen, I want, I want you to know, we're absolutely convinced it is right to be involved. It is right to concentrate on the issues which have lasting and long-term effect on matters of life and death which we are facing in this country. But friends, here's you the simple reality. To be worked into a frenzy to the point of losing either peace or perspective, whether that frenzy comes from watching MSNBC or Fox, is not consistent with a life of sobriety. Because the simple truth is that Jesus is still in control. Now be involved. Know what's going on. But if it works you into a frenzy where all you can do is be angry at everyone who's not as involved in you, friend, anger ain't right. I don't care how you got there. It's not right. And if you end up being angry as a result of watching the news and worrying about the election cycle, that didn't put the anger in you. All it did was bring out what was already there. And Jesus is giving every one of us an opportunity to look at him and say, man, I've been carrying this around. I didn't know it, and I'm really sorry about that. Sobriety makes it so that we can look at the world around us calmly, strategically, and intentionally, and have a mission with purpose. We respond. We do not react. Wyatt Earp said, now listen, if, you're, if Wyatt Earp is your standard of sobriety, we're in trouble. Okay, but why? And for those of you who know, you can look him up this afternoon if you care. <laughs> Wyatt Earp said, "The guy who will draw his gun calmly, taking his time, will be more accurate than the guy who is in a rush and reacts." Now, Wyatt died an old man at 81, never had been shot, so he might not, might have known something about how to draw your gun correctly. But friends, the simple reality is that as Christians, we are children of the light. We walk in sobriety and we are not going to react to the world around us the way the world reacts to the world around us. And that is a part of our testimony. Why aren't you worried about this? I read the book. I know how it ends. Because here, listen, listen, here's your reality. Well, aren't you, aren't you worried about what's going on? I don't need to be worried about what's going on because I've already... Listen, the Bible says that at the end, in the end, last days, two things are going to happen at the same time. There are going to be two revivals going on at the same time. First off, there will be an insurgence, a swelling, a revival of evil. He said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, he said that day, now there's the day again, the day of the Lord, that day cannot appear except two things happen. First off, there's a great turning away. And secondly, the man of sin is revealed. So there's going to be an upsurge in evil. There's going to be an upsurge in turning away from the church and turning away from the gospel, wanting nothing to do with it. And so when I read the statistic this past week that 7,000 churches close in America every year, I'm really sorry. I wasn't surprised. Because 
That is a sign of the times. There's going to be an upsurge in evil. And we can be ready for that. But let me tell you the other thing that's going to happen at the exact same time. And that is Acts 2.17 which says, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And Peter said that 2,000 years ago, quoting Joel who had said it nearly 1,000 years prior and said, Listen, that thing we've been looking at for all these centuries, this is that. And friends, if Pentecost was that, how much thisser is this than that? And the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that took place on Pentecost and God bring it afresh to my life every stinking day, amen, is the revival of righteousness that will take place in the last days concurrent with simultaneous with, at the exact same time with, a revival of evil. And friends, we should know about this. And we look at it and say, well, the church is just getting beat up. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't coming back for a bride that's nasty looking and beat up. He's coming back for a bride that's all that and a buck fifty more. He's coming back for a, a glorious bride. A bride in splendor. A bride that's an overcomer. An army of overcomers. And you can look at all the bad stuff all you want, or you can look at with sobriety at the reality that the church is not going out of here in defeat. The church is going out here in victory. We win. Look at what it says. As a result of walking in sobriety... Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, we put on the breastplate of faith, which says, you know what, Jesus is in charge. Now, I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. I'm not going to be uninvolved. But at the end of the day, I can go to sleep at night because Jesus is in charge. Secondly, the breastplate of love So that we look at somebody else and say, do you know him? And thirdly, the hope, and there's that word again, the absolute certainty of. This is not a golly gee, wouldn't it be great? It's not a divine maybe. So it's the absolute certainty of the truth of God's word, the hope of salvation, which says, even so, come, Lord Jesus, bring that final on. I am ready to be out of here. Friends, the reality is there will be two revivals at the end of the age at the same time and you are going to see whichever of those you're looking at. There's a line I've used for years. Tried to live my life by it. It says, two men looked through bars. One saw, man, one saw mud, the other saw stars. They're both looking out of the same set of, win- same set of bars. They're both looking out of the same window. That one chooses to look down at the mud and the other chooses to look up at the stars does nothing but reveal their perspective, their starting point. Now, looking at the stars doesn't negate the reality of the mud. I know the mud is there, but I also know that Jesus is in charge and that brings me a lot of peace. I'm going to look at the mud, but I'm not going to let it make me frantic and frenzied. And I, I can turn off Fox and I can turn off NBC, MSNBC and I can sleep all night long. Because I know that Jesus is in charge. Look at it. Are things getting worse and worse all the time? Yeah. In the world they are. Are things getting better and better all the time? You better know it. 
In the church, they are. Do you realize, no matter how many churches we lose in America, there are churches being raised up, there are churches being planted today that we have a, we have a generation coming behind us that's saying, if you old farts will get out of our... Sorry, I'm in trouble for that one. If you... If you of increased fibility, greater decrepitude would please just step aside into your automatic recliner and let us go do something. Now, I don't want your Saul's armor. I'm David. I'll go fight this battle with what I know, with the weapons that I know, and you better know I'm going to fight this battle. But if you'll step aside and quit trying to put your armor on us, we'll go do something. We have a, we have a generation of church planters that are coming up that, man, they're going to do this thing. They're, they're, t- they're storming hell with a water pistol. And friends, there are going to be pockets of setback, but the church is still the fastest growing, healthiest organism on the face of the earth. I don't care how much they talk about other religions that are killing everybody they can get their hands on. Plenty of work to be done, but there's plenty of rejoicing to do also. I like, I like this quote from Rick Godwin. Rick Godwin said, The Lord is going to have a glorious church before he returns. For years, the belief was that we would never have another revival. We utterly reject that line of thinking in light of clear scripture. The glorious church is to be a mighty army of overcomers through whom God reveals and demonstrates himself to man. Friends, we're going to go out of this thing in a blaze of glory because it's going to be a good day for the church. Amen? Now listen, he said in Ephesians 5, he said, Christ loved himself and gave himself up for the church. Why did he do it? So that he could sanctify her. Does that sound like the church you're worried about? A sanctified body? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Why? So that he could present the church to himself in splendor. (laughs) In splendor. I want to be a part of that group. Amen? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she could be holy and without blemish. Friends, it says without spot or wrinkle. How do you get spots out of your clothes at your house? (laughs) Someone is a paid spokesman for that group. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta oxyclean those things. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to that spot and then you stick that sucker over in the washing machine, right? And you let the washing machine do it. It says they're gonna be without spot. You know what they call that thing in the middle of the washing machine? Well, you didn't need to bring that up. How do you think God gets the spots out of us? It's all those irritating people that are sitting next to us on that airplane. It's those last seven minutes. You know, I've been wanting to tell you about your B.O. for... It's those people. Do you know why? There are a lot of ways. There are a lot of ways to be put to death. And Jesus used crucifixion, and Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, and I die daily for a reason. You can, you can get electrocuted. I can electrocute myself. You can get shot. You can shoot yourself. Don't go doing that. You can drown. You can drown. Don't do that. But you know what you can't do? You cannot crucify yourself. Because you can get them feet down there. You know, you're tough. And you might be able, if you're really talented, you might be able to get this one hand over here. But friend, to get that last one, you're going to have to have the help of someone around you. That's why God gave you your spouse. (laughs) 
That's why God gave you your children. That's why God gave you that guy who's going to cut you off this afternoon on the way home from church. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, do you remember what was said in the sermon? And then it says, without spot, we're going to be washed and without wrinkled. You know how you get, you know how you get wrinkles out of clothes? You've got to mash those suckers between a rock and a hot spot. There's a lot of pressure involved in that, a lot of heat. How's it going in your life right now? Things heating up for you? Pressure building up? You know why? Because he's making a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. And you can either fight it or you can with sobriety look at that thing and say, Dear God, let's do it some more. Do whatever is necessary. It's kind of like the guy with surgery. You know, while you got that thing opened up, why don't you just poke around in there and see if there's anything else? You know, while we're opened up, let's not have to go through that process again. Just deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. I like what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said he hated that son, that hymn, Hold the Fort, I Am Coming. What a travesty against the command of Christ. He did not tell us to hold the fort. He told us to storm the gates. That's a good line, isn't it? First off, how it will happen is going to happen suddenly. How should we respond? With hope and sobriety. Why? Because we know God's purposes. Look there in verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Friends, these are words of great hope and a reason for courage. And it should impact our conduct on a daily basis. This is what he said in Revelation 13. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Friends, you know one of the reasons that, you know one of the greatest impetus I have for being careful with what I look at on the Internet is I want to be found useful. I don't want to be the tool on the work t- on the workbench that the master looks over because it's that one's dirty and it's not ready to be used. And I want to be the one that's ready to be used. How about you? Because we recognize the day is coming quickly, like a thief in the night with no warning, I want to be ready for whatever God has for us. Because we're looking at this thing with the inside track. We have the inside story on this. Second Peter chapter 1. We have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. We have the prophetic word. Jesus is coming soon. Now, we look at this. Look at what he says there in verse 9. And 10, our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We look at that and we go, well, boy, don't lost people need to hear that. Yeah, lost people need to hear it. But he wasn't writing it to lost people. He was writing it to us. And he said, whether we're awake or asleep, we, gotta, we, we can live in him. Friends, he's calling us to righteousness. He's calling us, he's calling his church to holiness. 
This isn't something we go out in the world and beat them over the head with. This is a sword that just pierces very carefully all the way through the heart to the bone and marrow. They divide between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What I did and why I did it. And the Word of God can, can separate those two for you. Friends, this is for us. What is it that you're hanging on to? What is it that when you stand in front of him, he's going to look at you and say, you know, you can come in, but that little pet thing you've been carrying around, that can't come in here. But Jesus, if you just knew how much I needed this bitterness, uh, if you just knew how, how comfortable I am with this anger, oh, Jesus, if you just knew what fear does for me, man, I mean, it, it, it gives me adrenaline rush. No, you can come in, but that has to stay out because no flesh is going to glory in my presence. Friends, this is written to us. How are you doing with Jesus? We'll talk about the lost folks in just a minute. How are you doing with Jesus? He said in 1 John 1, 9, He said, if you'll confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, I love that passage. Confess means just to say the same word about it. Just to say the same word. Confess is confess, same word. And if he calls it sin, okay, I'm just going to call it sin. If we'll just call it sin, here's what it'll do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's the thing we, forget, we confessed. But here's how good Jesus is. Not only will he forgive us of what we confessed, but he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are things that came in with that sin I'm totally unaware of. And thank you, Jesus, he doesn't show me the depths of it. Amen? But he's so good... He says, I'll go in and clean that garbage out too. If you'll just do this one thing, just confess. Friends, it's not the Democrats that are the problem. It's not the Republicans that are the problem. They got their own problems, but they're not our problem. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they would just turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. If we were to stop just for a minute here and ask Jesus, what do you want to deal with me on? What would he tell you? You wanted to ask him? Let's pray. Father, I would just ask that your Holy Spirit descend on us right now. Father, your word says that our sin is a wall, it's a barrier, that we set up one brick at a time as we envision it there. We just build that wall one brick at a time. That separates us from you. And Father, to say that we have no sin makes us a liar according to your word. So Father, by your blessed Holy Spirit, would you please descend on us right now? simplicity and honesty and willingness to hear we want to ask Father what do you want to take care of in my life today God what what sin is still in there what fear is still in there you cast out fear fear hits the lake of fire before unbelief fear is not a good thing what bitterness what anger what resentment what unforgiveness am I hanging on to 
What anger have I become so accustomed with that I'm just at home with it? I'm at home with it. My spouse sees it. My kids see it. My friends see it. I'm at home with it. What anger? What greed? God, is it gossip? In what area of my life am I not walking with sobriety? Father, reveal it by your Holy Spirit. And now, now in just simple obedience to your word, in faith to your word, we just confess that that's sin. We say the same thing about it that you say, it's sin. And we ask you to forgive us of that. God, I'm really sorry that I did that. I'm really sorry that I've carried that for so long. God, I'm so tired of carrying that. Would you please forgive me? God, minister your forgiveness to your people. Father, the work of your Holy Spirit is so amazing and so complete and so expansive that not only does it take out the sin we committed, but it takes out that that halo of unrighteousness that surrounds that sin and excises that also without even bothering us with it. Father, for that sin that has held us captive, I encourage you just to pray this in your heart after me. I place the cross of Jesus Christ between me and that sin. God, I ask you to crucify that sin in my life on your cross. By the power of your cross, break all of the entanglements, all of the cords that have held me to that sin and bring that thing to death in Jesus' name. And Father, just like you raised Jesus from the dead three days later, I ask you by the power of your Spirit, raise me to life in that area. Cause me to walk a new kind of life in that area. God, I want victory over fear. I want victory over anger. I want victory over bitterness. I want victory over unforgiveness. God, I want victory over greed. I want victory over whatever it is that you've convicted us of. God, cause me to walk in a new kind of life. Father, there's some in this room who might never accepted Jesus as their Savior. Would you please, by your Holy Spirit, reveal to them the simple, profound truth of this invitation. And if we will confess our sins, Jesus died for those sins. And if we'll just say, yep, I've sinned, and I'm really sorry about that. I ask you to please forgive me. Jesus, I give you my life. I'll do what you tell me to do. I confess you as Lord of my life. We will be saved. Father, for any that have prayed that this morning, I ask you to seal that by your Holy Spirit. Give them, give them courage to come and talk with us and let us share with them more about your work of salvation in our lives. Father, thank you for this people. Thank you that this week we're going to find ourselves all over this valley, outside of it, no telling where, this next week. In all of our service and all of our work this week, God, we ask for sobriety, holiness, breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of the hope of salvation, the absolute certainty. God, use us this next week. I speak a blessing over these people, the blessing of your presence. We carry your name, and you said that is the blessing. 
Father, make us usable this week in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys sure are a blessing. We're thankful for you. Greet somebody before you leave. You're dismissed.